Hey listeners, if you haven't joined Stitcher Premium yet, now's the perfect time. Stitcher Premium gets you completely ad-free episodes of hundreds of shows, like Comedy Bang Bang, WTF with Mark Marin, and How Did This Get Made? You also get 21,000 hours of exclusive content. New exclusive originals like Marvel's Wolverine and Issa Rae's Fruit are launching every week for Stitcher Premium members. If you love podcasts, you are missing out. When you listen to ad-free apps in Stitcher Premium, your favorite podcasters get paid. Help support your favorite shows and join Stitcher Premium today. For a free month of listening, go to stitcherpremium.com and use promo code POCKET. Microsoft came rip-worn ready this week with a small convertible tablet that starts out at $399. Unfortunately, unlike an iPad, if you really want to take your computing somewhat seriously, you're going to need to spend upwards of $800 on a Surface Go. Does it make sense? We'll sort that out and look into the five-camera trend that seems to be cropping up for the future, plus a lesson on case design, why if you don't care about the blockchain, you should probably care about HTC, and the impending death of the 4-inch iPhone. Again, all this and more as we unfold the week's news and then get a bit of dust in it, and then make the keyboard not work, but at least the keys are quiet and the chipset is updated. I don't know, what do you expect from the MacBook Pro? It's the Pocket Now Weekly, episode 313, recorded on Friday, the 13th of July, 2018. This is the show from Pocket Now in conjunction with XDA developers that delves into everything that moves and is technology, from smartphones to tablets and wearables. It is the stuff you probably couldn't make up, even in your wildest imaginations as a kid. I'm Jules Wong, news editor at Pocket Now, joined by editor in chief, still. Anton D. Nudge. Hello to you, sir. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Good to be here. How are you? I'm doing just well. How was your week, by the way? My week was busy, but that's nothing out of the ordinary. All of my weeks are busy, but uh, it's been an exciting week. But I can say this much. I'm glad it's over, or it's about to be over, because as soon as I hang up this hangout, I'm going to be out of here. You're going to have dinner. You're going to be out on the town. It's going to be great. Definitely a busy Anything week. just to get out of the office. Indeed. Uh, definitely a busy week for us here as we uh, make the transition. Obviously, you've uh, probably seen the posts by now that we are working with XDA developers uh, in a very, uh, shall we say, synergistic uh, capacity here. So sooner or later, you'll be seeing changes. They're going to be for the good. Uh, and both of us are going to be a part of it uh, to uh, lead on the transition. And uh, it's going to be a fun time, I guess. Exciting, at least. At least. It's going to be the base level exciting, and then who knows what will happen after that. So a lot of stuff that we want to talk about this week, uh, and uh, we encourage you to chime in as well. I have uh, phones over here that have Twitter on them, and uh, we want you to speak out on that social platform using the hashtag PNWeekly. Uh, PNWeekly is the hashtag you're looking for. Comment on some of the news of the week. And uh, again... If you happen to be on emails, if you're not listening to this live at noon on this uh, particular day, well, you can head online and uh, head on to your email client and then go to podcast at pocketnow.com and uh, just ask any question you want. We'll try and see if we can answer it. So lots to look forward to. And in the meantime, we shall start off with the Surface Go. So this happened this week. <laughs> It happened uh, on a Tuesday night, I believe. Uh, hardware chief Panos Panay of Microsoft kind of just leaked, or well, not really leaked because it was official, but just put out little pictures, videos, everything about the Surface Go, which is what he says to be the smallest lightweight uh, Surface yet. Of course, I think he said that about the Surface laptop. It seems like everything is getting <laughs> smaller, you know, just more miniaturized. Um, this is seen as the iPad competitor here, or the Chromebook competitor, uh, as opposed to the Surface Laptop, which was $999, um, dollars, not Euro, uh, dollars. And, uh, this is, uh, going to be kind of, a well, it has the Intel Pentium Gold processor, which is a good step up from Celeron, and, uh, it gets you pretty and the close. the M1s... 
yeah. the M's. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting kind of catches that you have to look forward to, especially when we're talking about a three ninety nine base price here, because. Well, first of all, the base pro- the base model has four gigs of RAM, but the uh, the storage here sixty four gigabytes. That's EMMC. If you upgrade to the one uh, with the fi- one hundred twenty eight gigabytes, that's an SSD, and uh, that's certainly going to give you faster performance on memory. And it's five hundred forty nine dollars. And that's not even to say that you don't get the type cover. Uh, which they're heavily promoting, and you don't get the Surface Pen. Those are separate costs, just like uh, if you get it with uh, with the iPad. You get the Apple Pencil for $100. You get the cover with the keyboard for $130. And it's the same thing over here. So if you really want a pretty okay um, computing experience with the Surface Go, you're looking at $800-ish. So, um, Tony, I just want your kind of first blush, first reactions to uh, all this. I'm trying to make a sense of why this product exists, why it's out there. And, and I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring it out because there is the Surface, which is the most, the pros, which is the most, the more powerful unit. And whether it's a tablet or the laptop version, it doesn't really matter. And then we have this lower end entry level ish model which is indeed cheaper but as you said if you add a keyboard if you add the storage option which is the ssd version with 128 gigs you're pretty much uh, up in the 800 dollars zone and it's it's running windows version which is the s1 granted it would be upgradable to windows 10 home but for $900, you can get a MacBook Air, which is a full-fledged computer with a more powerful processor. So I'm guessing it, it all depends on what you want to use the device for. If it's some lightweight web browsing, some emails, or maybe some multimedia, then absolutely, if you're a Microsoft or Windows fan, you can go for that and you can even save 100 bucks off of the MacBook Air. But if you want to do anything more serious, not that the MacBook Air is such a powerful computer, but... Uh, I myself and Mr. Mobile can probably testify we have rendered lots of videos on MacBook Airs. And they until until his one blew up four years or three years after doing a lot of video editing stuff, it really held its ground. So I'm trying to figure out what exactly is Microsoft Microsoft's strategy here. Uh, who are they targeting? Because it doesn't seem to be neither the simplest kind of de- device to compete with Chromebooks. It doesn't even seem to be the kind of device to compete with full-fledged computers. It's an in-between product, and I guess that that's, that might be its niche. Hmm. Well, I think it was a particularly bad week to be announcing this, especially because um, we got word last night from uh, Bloomberg that uh, they're working on, or at least Adobe is working on Photoshop, full-fledged Photoshop for the iPad, which kind of takes away more of that air uh, that the Surface Go would have uh, in making the argument to lightweight computing, which, I mean, well, does this really mean that Apple was uh, getting in the right sense of marketing its iPad with, like, what's Could what's be. a computer? What's <laughs> whatever that girl was doing on the bus and whatnot, and then kind of making that kind of glib claim? As tempting as it might be, I am I am trying, and, and so far I've succeeded, but I'm trying really, really hard to not compare a computer with the iPad or the iPad with another computer. Because at the end of the day, the iPad, powerful as it is, with the powerful and strong ecosystem of apps that it might have, it is still a tablet. It is still running a mobile platform. And Windows 10, whether it's an S or home version, or Mac OS, it's a desktop operating system. So limitations are there, of course, for the iPad due to its uh, operating system. There might be some limitations on Windows S as well, but in my mind, they just don't compete. So I wouldn't compare the uh, the newly, newly announced uh, Surface Go with the iPad. I would compare it against the, the MacBook Air or, or something on the, along those lines. Hmm, really? That might be... That might be something. I mean, Chromebooks, I guess, would be the other branch of things, especially as uh, we see 
uh, a lot of push towards uh, enterprise or uh, education fleet deployment. Um, what does this uh, provide? Because Android is also getting its uh, app games up and uh, they're becoming more fully featured as well. Yes, true, true again. But with a Chromebook, correct me if I'm wrong, I have not used one. Um, isn't your operating system basically, isn't your, your device basically booting off of, of the web? Uh, it's not booting off of the web. It's, uh, it's its own contained device, but it's really uh, all the apps. Heavily that... relying on the web. Yeah, except uh, they've really taken the integration with Android apps pretty seriously. So if you run them off your local storage, I mean, that's totally fine. Uh, and that's kind of their way of cheating into an ecosystem, I guess. Then I guess there's your competitor for, for the Surface Go. It's, it's Chromebooks on one end, and it's uh, the MacBook Air on the other hand. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll definitely want to see where uh, this goes and if the sales kind of even out between that kind of... Uh... I'd like to hear from listeners, where do they think this product is, is situated? What's Microsoft targeting with this product? Because yeah. it, it can be a poor man's laptop and it also can be a poor man's iPad. It's it's For me, it's not really clear. Yeah, it's not really clear to me either, uh, especially if they're taking the Apple route of accessorizing at additional cost. So uh, definitely chime in, hashtag PN Weekly on that. We'll get to your comments in a little short order. Uh, in the meantime, staying with the Microsoft theme, uh, we are going to talk about the Surface Phone slash Edramada slash whatever. And uh, it's only in terms of sentiment here because, it, I mean, I, I don't think the story is that there are 15,000 uh, or fans that are writing a petition for Microsoft to keep this uh, secret project alive where, uh, I mean, renders have pictured it to be this kind of switch like thing, this Nintendo switch like thing where you're able to combine two screens and then turn off one and then have the other one turn into uh, like a work surface where typing and whatnot. But um, well, the fact is, is that the story is that 15,000 people have signed a petition and uh, so this fan base is really, really weird in terms of mobile. I think there's always been a concern or at least a, uh, an insistence that Microsoft needs to have skin in the mobile game if it wants to compete uh, past the second decade of the 21st century. And this, uh, they've been trying so many ways, so many times, they've done it through many iterations of its Windows Phone platform. They've left behind a whole bunch of people along the way just because, you know, they, they didn't develop bridges between the versions, you know, from Mango to 8, from 8 to 10. Some of them weren't, uh, some of the phones weren't going to be supported uh, on the way up. And some of them, some of them in making the transition to the Windows 10 Mobile uh, were promised to make the upgrade, but eventually did not get the upgrade. And there was also the whole debacle of acquiring Nokia for its hardware and uh, device services. And uh, that didn't end up going well. They wrote off the whole uh, investment. So I'm wondering what these people see in Microsoft that I don't necessarily see. As strange, to use your words, as strange as this fan base is, I think they deserve our entire respect and Microsoft's respect, which is in the first place, because if it weren't for this or whatever's left of this so-called fanatic fan base for a mobile platform, which its maker killed, Microsoft wouldn't have had half of the success it had a couple of years ago. So there's that. But on the other hand, everybody has moved on from from Microsoft's operating system on on mobile, even before Microsoft officially killed it off, because they entered the game late. There was this entire conversation back then whether Microsoft is late to the game, and there were many saying they were. There were many hoping that they are not. As it turns out, they were late to the game, but that's not what got them to lose at this game. I think that they made some uh, some decisions, some strategy decisions 
which got them to this point. They were trying a completely different approach and oh my god, yes, Windows Windows Phone, the, the original version, Windows Phone 7, I think, with the live tiles was a great concept. But then again, along the way, it just they didn't necessarily manage to keep up with the demands on the market. I, and uh, just to circle back to, to your Microsoft-Nokia um, analogy, yeah, Microsoft managed to acquire Nokia, but Nokia didn't manage to, to save Microsoft. So... There's that. I don't think that 10, 15, or even 100,000 people would be enough for Microsoft to actually manufacture a product or to get back into the mobile game. I do think that the the market still needs Microsoft as a player, but uh, Microsoft, I don't think, is willing to play again, at least not as in terms of uh, software OS and hardware maker. They are really, really still deep in the game with uh, with collaborations with, with Android manufacturers on their services. Microsoft is pushing their services really hard now, whether that's Outlook or, or Word or the entire Office package for, for mobile. But I don't think we'll soon or ever, well, I, I, let's never say ever, but I don't think we'll soon see Microsoft a key player again, neither in the, in the smartphone manufacturer nor smartphone mobile operating system game if it would be cool to have a phone from microsoft again especially if i'm looking at the render right now uh, the andromeda it really resembles the uh oh, i'm not sure which model it was the uh xperia which was the the foldable xperia back three or four Jeez. or five years ago uh, zt i think has something similar yeah. it would be cool but I don't think that it would sell enough to justify its existence. Maybe in a very limited supply with a huge price tag attached to it just for bragging rights. But other than that, still commendable effort from people who are still supporting Microsoft. I think um, just to cap off the past here that they've made uh, Microsoft at least ambitious one-time moves that were not supported by a sustained uh, software development and support. And um, that was really just unfortunate for the ecosystem in general and it didn't really work out for them so moving forward i mean everyone is working on convergence even though apple uh is kind of uh the you know dark horse and saying that oh we're not going to merge ios and mac os together uh they're still kind of working strange behind the scenes as evidenced by uh the photoshop uh rumors for ipad um and there's also google which is working on its own um thing that was formerly called andromeda os uh but is now kind of um i forgot i forget the name of it fuchsia fuchsia and it's going to be this multi-form factor kind of thing that can form fit so andromeda os for windows uh, yep. It's said to be going to be the same thing, uh, just a multi-form factor, uh, Windows, full-fledged power, wherever you go. So, I mean, it makes sense, but um, it'll be a couple of years at the very least, I would think, to uh, before we get to that point. So, um, I'm excited. If we ever. If we ever do. It, it, sometimes, if you, like... It feels like we're going so fast. We're, we're kind of like the road runner uh, and running through <laughs> a whole bunch of little tiny progressions like bezels and whatnot. But it, it, we don't really take a look at the big picture that often. And sometimes it feels like we're kind of sl- it, like the background doesn't move and we're just keep we just keep running up the stairs. And it's like there's no end in sight. But. Eventually, we'll get there. We'll get there. I think that that Microsoft has been, aside from the fact that they had those decisions which got them to where they are now, I think that they, or Microsoft's competitors, let's say that, Apple and and Google, and if we talk about device manufacturers, all the rest, whether it's Samsung, LG, Huawei, you name them, they're so far ahead that I don't think that there's anything Microsoft could do at this point. They had they had like what? When was Windows uh, Phone first launched? 2012, 2013, somewhere around that. They had five years, half a decade to do something meaningful, which they did up to a point. Still not enough to catch in several regions double digit market share, but it's it was still a starting effort. They should have built on that. But now after they completely gave up on the approach and they took a step back, if they are missing from a game for for a year or two, the gap would be so, so big that Microsoft will not be able to just bridge it. It's like 
a boxer who just sits back home and eats pizza and drinks beer for six months, and that his first match, the opponent is just fit and in best shape. I think Ben Folds wrote a song about that. I'm not sure if you've ever are, are familiar with his work. <laughs> no, but I will definitely look him up. I didn't quote him, but if that's a quote, then I will give credit for credit to you. Well, take a listen. It's it's good music in any case. Uh, let's talk about the iPhone SE and the iPhone X. Uh, a couple of analysts here from Bluefin Research say that uh, they're going to cut, Apple is going to cut uh, production of the iPhone X and iPhone SE uh, at some point uh, to make way for the new iPhones for this year. Um, and uh, from what it sounds like, it doesn't seem like we're going to get a continuation of either model. Um, iPhone X, that's the stock you're going to get, and iPhone SE has had a, a, what, a two-year run, I guess you could say, and um, it, it just kind yep. of served. We talked about uh, sequels uh, for the whole, uh, like from all the way from fall up until maybe a, like a month ago, and things... I have, think it was May. Yeah, things have fizzled out uh, from that uh, Oluxar, the case manufacturer, because... They always seem to have the uh, inside track on these sorts of things. And they say that the iPhone SE 2 is not going to be happening. So unfortunate for those fans that really wanted an updated version of the 4-inch iPhone. Uh, I guess uh, kind of uh, maybe it's not right to say uh, let's uh, do a post-mortem. But what do you think? What do you (laughs) think of the legacy of the 4-inch size at this point? While I have the utmost respect for or for all uh, analysts, uh, I have never trusted analysts. I don't know why. It's it's just it's just it, the problem is with me, not with them. I think that there are a bunch of people who are just opining on something and claiming knowledge of something, just like us. Granted, we've been doing this for ten years and, and closely monitoring the industry. Analysts are analysts, anyways. I think that it makes sense for Apple to kill the iPhone SE because. Um, Apple's habit of releasing a new smartphone every year makes last year's phone obviously a cheaper option and the other phone which was a two-year-old phone now so for instance in this particular case the the model from 2016 will become the lowest and the cheapest phone having an even cheaper SE phone granted in a four-inch form factor no longer makes sense because if you look at the entire market right now i don't think that you will find many phones which are four inch big four inch small you name it i think that we are now at a point where the standard is pretty much getting closer to 4.7 and above maybe five plus so many people would probably use it and buy it but once apple draws the line and they make their calculation it probably makes a lot of sense for them to say okay we're not going to sell hundreds of thousands or or millions we're just going to sell a couple and it it makes no sense for us to just hold an entire production line captive because of a unit which might or might not succeed so we're just going to free it up use it repurpose it for something else and maybe ramp up our production yields to support production for whatever model is selling best and for the iphone 10 there were rumors i'm guessing it will pretty much be certain at one point soon that the iPhone 10 will not have a sequel in its current iteration as we know the iPhone 10 which could make sense because the iPhone 10 was a anniversary edition an anniversary release the next iPhone will probably take a lot of design cues and the elements from the iPhone 10 so there's that there's that that means that the iPhone 10 as expensive as it is now will become even more expensive once nobody will produce it so if you will have next year a top notch iPhone 10 it'll be a lot more expensive yeah, or it could just uh, Apple could use that as the paradigm shift for their design and just make everything um, kind of that weird design that they have with the notch and and the, the super retina display and whatnot. Aside from aside from our our own uh, uh, ex colleague Juan Carlos Bagnell, who really was the only person enjoying the iPhone SE, I haven't seen any in the wild. As strange as it may sound, I've I've seen people with very very small hands, even ladies with even smaller hands, use iPhone eight pluses. Uh, at one point, I even made a joke that that the iPhone eight plus screen size is 
in many cases as big as their entire head. But I think that it, what I'm trying to say is people are no longer looking for a, a small device. They're looking for a big device because number one, they're consuming a lot of media. They're consuming, they're watching a lot of movies, streaming YouTube, Netflix. They're, they're showing off their pictures and um, a bigger phone speaks for maybe a bigger ego. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh man. Well, we're, we're going to get in trouble with the people of small hands and big egos. Uh... No, I, I have, I have the utmost. I was, I, I have huge hands and I was using the HP Veer. So there, it couldn't get any more awkward than that. Well, I was about to only just mention uh, someone's name who rhymes with Tronald Dump. Um, but <laughs> I'm just not going to. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> so uh, a couple of comments from the hashtag PN Weekly on Twitter. I do want to give a shout out. Uh, Peter Hayton says, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Tony and Jules for getting through this week. You have both done a great job and have continued to support uh, Pocket Now in any capacity I'm able to. Uh, I Thank know you. a transition like this is rough, but all my thoughts are with you. Thank you for that, Peter. Appreciate it. Renata Laporte says, what I cannot understand is why call it Surface for the Surface Go. Up until now, the Surface was a more uh, more like a premium product. So it seems Microsoft wants to take down uh, wants to take down on the mid mid range market, but I don't see what good this does to the Surface name. I think it kind of um, devalues it in a sort of sense. Um, or well, maybe if because the, they had the Surface Three for the longest time, and that was kind of uh, the entry level to the market. But I don't remember any kind of critical kind of um, really takedowns of that device. It was just it served its purpose. So I'm just I'm just happy to see that that we are not the only ones not understanding what Microsoft is trying to do with the Surface. Because this is kind of layers on layers of a Surface, where the space Surface device like. I feel like the Surface name encompasses a whole experience, uh, yeah. lock and stock, and this doesn't provide it. So, um, yeah, explain that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that Surface as a brand, as the word, as as Microsoft first used it, didn't it refer to that huge touch-capable table, which you were able to interact with either via touch or placing stuff on it. Wasn't that the, the initial surface? And then we went into the surface computers and the surface thingy on a wall. That did come first. I think it was the surface hub, if uh, I'm not mistaken. You know, that big ass pool table. That big ass pool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, I'm, I'm not sure whether it was called the surface hub or um, something else, but uh, Nonetheless, it was a surface. It was a surface, <laughs> a large surface, literally. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, we'll have to see how the Surface Go develops and if consumers will take to it at the very least. So, uh, talk more about that in just a bit. In the meantime, we'll take a break here and uh, tell you a little bit more about one of our sponsors. The Pocket Now Weekly is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Now, you probably know LinkedIn as a networking site that helps you connect with colleagues, references, and potential employers. But if you're one of those employers looking to hire the right candidate for your specific position, why not consider LinkedIn Jobs? After all, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn, with 22 million professionals looking at new listings every single week. And all of them are already sharing the skills, experiences, and geographic reach they've gained over the course of their careers. Why not put that data to work for you? Hundreds of thousands of businesses have already posted their positions, and they rate LinkedIn jobs 40% better than the average job board for getting them the person they needed. You might just find someone that you would have otherwise missed elsewhere. And if you're not with LinkedIn jobs already, you don't have to miss out. Get $50 off your first job posting by going to linkedin.com slash weekly. That's linkedin.com slash weekly for $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Pocket Now Weekly. And uh, we have a little bit more for you in terms of the phone side of things. I know we're, we're kind of going into kind of the, uh, well, the middle of the surface of the phone and tablet space. Fablets? More than that, I'm not sure. But and then we also talked about the death of a phone, and um, I really want to encourage 
the, uh, the mobile industry to keep on living uh, at this point. So why not have five cameras on every single phone that you produce? Just a thought. Um, so last week, I believe, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, we started. It was to... it was two weeks ago, yes, because it was the episode on which I was here, yeah. and I have such a déjà vu because I will have to probably just repeat everything I said two weeks ago about the LG V40. But nonetheless, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm going to pull really up the like. script for you, and you can just read it <laughs> off right there. <laughs> so um, we're talking about the Galaxy S10 even though the Galaxy Note 9 has not been released yet. Uh, and we're going to just say it, um, the biggest uh, Galaxy uh, S10 variant will have five cameras, three rear cameras and two selfie cameras. Um, of course, we we have less of an idea of what that was. that's going to be about because we had some sort of uh, reporting uh, for the LG V40, which is supposed to be out this fall. Um, where the we had an idea that maybe LG was going to do its usual kind of wide angle and then super wide angle for the back and then do some sort of stereoscopic facial authentication for the front. And uh, with over here, we well, we don't really have much of an idea. There are two selfie cameras. Maybe one of them is going to be wide angle. Uh, and then the three on the back is... Um, I. Well, they say that it's going to be uh, the zoom wide and then super wide, um, but because um, we saw, I saw uh, the P20 Pro review or the in-depth camera photographer's guide uh, from Adam Z Lane, and he found that the 41 megapixel sensor or whatever it was was really just the best all-around uh, camera sensor that he just used, and. Um, I agree. The, I have to agree. The zoom sensor didn't really, you know, do its job the best, and then the regular kind of monochrome sensor uh, was didn't really do its job um, too well, or at least, I mean, I guess Adam would sort of characterize it differently, but you know, that's the takeaway I got from this. So it all depends on whether or not Samsung gets its gear together and makes each sensor the best at what they can do. I just, just to be very, very clear in my opinion, I still don't think that it makes sense for Samsung to release three galaxy S models. Even if we're talking about S, S plus S pro, regardless of the name beyond zero, beyond one, beyond two, not that, it wouldn't sell because Samsung is at a point where regardless of what they put out, just like Apple, just like uh, there are, there are not so many companies which can pull this off, but Samsung and Apple can pull this off. If they would have probably five models, they would sell like hotcakes as well. It doesn't make sense in my mind from, from a strategic point of view, from, from a product family point of view. I touched up upon this uh, and I talked at length two weeks ago, so I'm not going to reiterate this. But again, I was wrong before, so don't take my word for it. I'm just saying that, in my opinion, it makes no sense. But let's just play with the idea of of having a Pro or Plus or whatever you name it, five-camera phone. Again, I can only say what I said two weeks ago. If it makes sense, if that added camera brings value to the customer, brings value to the user, then sure, please slap it on and make it do some wonderful things for you. But just don't add it for bragging rights because every component you add to a smartphone dramatically increases its price point. And phones in 2017 and 2018 have already become so expensive. Uh, of course, they, they bring tremendous value to your life. Now, nowadays, you can basically live off of your phone. But just don't add something which will further increase the price point if that something will not bring value to your life. And when it comes to cameras, of course, we all love our smartphone photography, but but I don't think that uh, maybe instead of just doing one extra camera for, I don't know, one added feature or a single feature, whether that's zooming in or wide angle or anything, maybe invest in something else, battery life uh, or any other feature which 
a user could find useful on a day-by-day -day basis? Because a camera, yes, of course, you use it daily, but how many times do you actually use a specific mode of the camera or a specific lens in the dual or triple lens setup? So that's that, that's just my two cents. On the front, it's okay, it makes sense, whether it's stereoscopic for, for face detection or for extra added bokeh effects that we so much love because we all love our beauty shots with bokeh effects, especially from a selfie perspective. I can't live with it. Uh, without it, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, it's it's a natural evolution. <laughs> it's a natural evolution. <laughs> Say what no. you really feel, man. Say what you really feel. I'm 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 right here pouring out my soul to you guys. <laughs> Seriously, uh, <laughs> face recognition is indeed the the next step. We are heading towards that. Uh, Apple kicked it off. He was not the first one, but they made it mainstream. Uh, we had the iris scanning. We will have face mapping. Of course, that's definitely doable, but others have done it with a single camera as well. So I'm not saying it, it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying that, please, guys, if you do this, if you add five cameras or six cameras, just make them useful. Everything is an eventuality, man. Everything is going to be five cameras, six cameras, and whatnot. Um, I think I think it's going to be one of those... Uh, you know, trend of the year things that doesn't get carried on into the next uh, dimension. Uh, well, I've got an idea. Whoever, whoever's a, a smartphone manufacturer, because I know that they all listen to our podcast, just slap a single 360, 360 camera on your smartphone and boom, you got it. You got front, you got back, you got left, you got right, you got up, you got down. There you have it. You solved the problem. I wonder what that would look like and, and what like a feasible design would be for that kind of thing. That, that'd be interesting. Well, if if uh, just copyright and trademark my idea and just give me I don't know two cents on a dollar two cents on a dollar that's a pretty reasonable royalty rate yeah I think that that'll do good all right deal all right let's uh talk about uh well let's talk about an anecdote here let's talk about cases let's talk about the one plus six so uh it's one of these little one off stories on Reddit that seems to have gotten a lot of traction. Uh, in terms of uh, the OnePlus 6, and that involves the nylon case that you can get with it. And uh, I was actually talking with um, uh, one of our uh, PR relations, uh, with uh, a PR representatives, excuse me, uh, over at OnePlus about this story here. And it starts off with uh, this guy who got a OnePlus 6 recently, has always had on that nylon case that uh, looks pretty snazzy with it. Uh, we saw a little bit of that with uh, Jaime Rivera showing off the red color last week, and uh, it looks pretty good. And he's only had it about a few days. Uh, he's let, he, he has a daughter, and you know how kids always seem to get their hands on things. And then sometimes, you know, they drop those th things and um things happen after that but you know you would figure you would figure with a case on at least that covers the full surface of the back that it will probably protect the glass back of the one plus six from cracking well after what three drops he said uh the picture that we see on the rundown here or the, at least on this story uh which uh, you can get onto the rundown at pocketnow.com but the story here is uh, not pretty. Uh, we got some spider webbing going on, some chipped glass uh, coming out of there. And, uh, you know, the design of the case comes into question here. Because it there is not like a full... It's a full bumper case, but it's it doesn't cover the buttons. Because, uh, I mean, they could have installed like proxy buttons where it's like a plunger. And you could just like, you know, press the plunger in order to press the button and whatnot. But there's actually just negative space instead. You know where the crack originates from? That little bit of negative space between the volume rocker and the glass. That really, it's like really annoying. Really, like, just horrible. And I hate it. And, well, I guess there's always a lesson to take out of this because even with cases, like, you know, there's always that debate of naked and case and whether or not you use either or, or go with either lifestyle. But, like, you you would expect for a case that this would be okay, that this, you know, you'd be able to get some protection out of it. And But, I mean, I don't know. Um, what do you think? Because I do have a um, the follow-up to what the original poster of this said. 
I'm trying to to phrase this in a way to which would not offend people, but I'm I'm not going to be the the likable guy now, and I'm not I'm I'm probably going to play with the devil's advocate. A phone is not a toy. A phone is also a thing, especially nowadays, which breaks easily. So I'm not trying to point fingers or, or, or put the blame on anybody, but uh, just how many times does your kid need to drop your phone in order for you to no longer give it to him? Or, or for you to just put it one shelf higher so your kid cannot reach it? I'm, I'm not saying that, that it couldn't happen. It could have broken at the first drop. What I'm saying is that these phones are not meant to be abused, especially since the trend nowadays is, is glass. And we have an editorial on, uh, on Pocket now written by Nicholas Gray about how he's tired of glass-back phones. And actually, when, when we, we played along with the idea of running this editorial, I asked him, okay, why, why are you so much against, against glass-backed phones? Because he broke his glass-backed HTC as well. And uh, I told him that, yes, glass breaks. Glass is, brit- is pretty, but glass breaks. I personally have not dropped a single phone in my life, but that is me. But at one point where you are spending so much mu- so much dollars, euros, you name it, on a, on a phone, you'd expect to take more care of it. Now, I- I'm not saying to just uh, put it on a table and never use it, but just don't don't drop it, don't throw it around. And especially if you do have a kid... You might want to sure buy him buy him a phone if you want your kid to have a phone in in its early ages. I wouldn't give my kid a phone until he would be probably uh, almost 14, 15, 16 years old because I really think that that's not what kids needs to do. But if you decided that your kid needs or wants a phone, just buy them either a, a rugged phone or something really cheap which he can toss around. Just cherish your your flagship phone. That's my two cents. I'm pretty sure many of you you will not agree with me, but this is my strong belief that it's it's the user's fault. If this would have happened, I don't know, because of overheating while charging or a design flaw, yes. But any phone made out of glass, if you drop it once or twice, it'll break. And there's no case on the planet that'll probably save it, save for the uh, smartphone airbags, which I've seen that were invented <laughs> like one or two weeks ago. Yeah, that's an awesome invention, but that's that's the truth act of it. Even if it's even if it's an aluminum phone, it'll get a dent. It'll not break, but it will still look ugly. Or maybe a couple of otter boxes. I don't know. And like the, you yeah. know, a couple of them. But like I, I agree that a case is not uh, an insurance policy. You don't get anything back uh, from the company just because um, you were able to break it with the case. And I guess you know there's also the reasonable use kind of uh, parameters that we have to look at oh it, it dropped like a couple of feet because you know the child's from a couple of feet tall or and it just happened to hit that kind of area uh where that kind of uh, cracking could happen like there are a whole bunch of factors here but the fact is is that no case bats a thousand there there is no 100% guarantee in terms of a hardware physical kind of protection for that kind of thing unless you actually go out and say, hey, insurance provider, uh, I'm going to pay you this amount of money, and uh, I expect you to uh, give me something back to if I ever break it. So uh, I definitely agree. It seems like the original poster uh, definitely agrees with that, uh, acknowledges his position in terms of uh, getting a repair, which uh, I believe the quote was $80, and that's not including shipping and handling. Uh, or just well, keep... try try to do that for your iPhone and oh, see yeah. how much it costs. Totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, oh, but I mean, you, you could just keep the case on all the time. After all, it's just a design thing. The internals were not harmed. The he got a, a display protector, which again kind of goes into uh, what we're talking about in terms of hardware protection. But still, the the display isn't cracked. Internals are fine. And uh, it looks nice with the nylon case, so why not just keep it on all the time? So, I mean, everyone will have their kind of philosophy on this. I encourage you, talk to us, hashtag PN Weekly, because this is kind of the everyday use sort of thing that we kind of um, uh, go into whenever we're buying a phone. And it's like, hey, what? how should I live my life with my phone? And there's there's always the, the other side of the coin, the other side of the story. I have had plenty of phones in my life 
because I'm a reviewer, but I also love technology. And uh, I always, always, always on the phones which I have purchased myself from my own pocket, used cases. Because number one, it offers protection. When you drop it, it might survive. Don't rely on your case to just save your phone when you drop it, but it might survive on one hand. On the other hand, keeping your phone in a case will ensure that next year when you want to upgrade or you want to sell it, your phone will be in mint top-notch condition and your resale price will be much higher than what you get for a phone which is all jacked up on the back or cracked or scratched. So for me, it's also uh, an investment, air quotes, decision, thinking long-term that if I have the iPhone 8 Plus now, if I keep it in a case, maybe next year, if it's in mint condition, uh, I need to just put a little bit more towards it to buy the new model than if it would be completely ruined. But I understand that not everybody is like me, and I understand that for some people, a phone is really just the phone. So there's that. Andrew Wallace says, well, I'm going to stick with my Illuminum Mate 9 law. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, always, that's always kind of the, you know, glib response of it. And it's a valid one, because if you, if you look hard enough, you'll find something else that you'll want in the phone marketplace. So... Hey, I mean, good luck to you if you're looking at the marketplace right now in 2018, but uh, it, you should be able to find something, hopefully. Uh, let's uh, move on to our final topic, which uh, I know everyone has been kind of dumping on. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so I just wanted to tackle it just because um, I wanted to do the whole devil's advocate thing. Uh, in terms of uh, defending HTC, because I think uh, since the start, uh, when they announced this Exodus, this blockchain phone, um, I was making the case that they're not viable as a mainstream smartphone uh, maker. Uh, there's only so far that they're able to act as an ODM because Google now has all of their hardware engineers that they need, and they probably won't be coming back to HTC um, to uh, continue giving them money. So this, if there's anything that they want to try, it's going to have to be something that make, uh, differentiates them in some way. And be it this, be it a blockchain phone, be it a Vive VR phone, which has been uh, kind of hinted at a couple of times, I feel like the specialist way is something that's worth trying out and worth seeking out the niche audience if they can. Um. The blockchain is kind of a harder argument to uh, talk about here because people are very dismissive of it. They don't understand it. And it's just like anything. If you're talking with your child and uh, they start talking about the latest uh, trend, you probably won't understand it. But it's still a valid thing because um, like in the past uh, several months, we've seen uh, the blockchain used in China to keep. Uh, a copy of uh, a manifesto from a sexual assault victim at a Chinese university. And in a society where uh, in a gov where the government is very censorship heavy and was able to scrub a lot of the references of that sexual assault case against uh, uh, against a, uh, allegations against the teacher, uh, the story survived. And uh, so that's one way that this whole blockchain thing can still work out. And even though, we're talking about a lot of these typical cryptocurrency, crypto kitties, which uh, they're uh, partnering with to kind of up the appeal of this thing. This probably around one thousand dollar phone. Um, I, I mean, it's there. There, there's some importance to it. I think it's a, you should be encouraged to look at some of the stories, maybe a couple of podcasts about blockchains explaining what it could do and explaining virtual reality for what it matters because who knows because these are emergent technologies and if they're going to have increasing role in our lives which uh, these experts uh, advocating for those their standards say they are then well you should probably at least take the time to not be afraid of it that's my take what do you think I, I was I was uh, uh, hearing your your words and uh, I, I'm not gonna say I didn't understand everything you said but there were some things I didn't understand and it, I found it funny that you mentioned 
the younger generation uh, kids and the older generation parents, fathers in this particular case, it shows that you're like 15 years older, uh, younger than, than I am because you're, you're so much into this. I need to be into this because this is my job, but I'm just trying to imagine a scenario that you need to explain or a kid needs to explain his dad what blockchain is. Well, I Anyways, mean, I, I, think, mean, I think it's it's it could be even as simple as like uh, some of the McDonald's. Uh, if you go to fa- you know eat out at fast food restaurants, they have uh, they they're now start uh, starting to incorporate screens. You don't go up to a counter anymore, and some people sort of have trouble with uh, dealing with the screens. So. I mean, that's by the way, this this episode is not sponsored by by McDonald's. It is sponsored by Burger King, (laughs) (laughs) but we are welcoming them if they do want to Uh, getting back to to the serious topic, the issue HTC. I think that HTC, sadly, and I I say this in, in all seriousness, I'm really, really sad that HTC has lost its compass. I really feel that HTC is a shadow of what it was years ago and that they're really desperately trying to do something meaningful. And I really think that going with a niche product will not be the proper decision to save the company in the smartphone business. Uh, I think I don't have a major in business. I I don't claim to have any knowledge of how the uh, market works if you are a smartphone manufacturer. But in my mind, you can become meaningful if you do a product, if you manufacture a product which sells volumes. Now, if you're if you're limiting your options from the get-go and you're coming up with a product which is addressing only a small chunk of the audience, granted, I think that there, in the article you mentioned there are about 30 million blockchain users. That's even if each and every one of them would buy an HTC Exodus, it still wouldn't be meaningful in the grand scheme of things when Samsung and Apple sell huge volumes and even LG and Huawei and ZTE and so on. So I think that having a niche product like this would make sense if it goes in pair or as an alternative to a product which is a flagship product in the top even five, which sells volumes. So, yes, granted, but correct me if I'm wrong, and this is a question to you, Jules, or to anybody from from our audience who is uh, knowledgeable in the blockchain and, and mining and everything. Can't you already do this stuff on your regular smartphone? I mean, you can mine for, for virtual currencies. You can basically use... Any sort of horsepower available in your device, whether that's a laptop, a computer, uh, a phone, or a website, a server, to mine for these currencies? Do you, do you have to have a special... What's special about this at HTC Exodus? So, I mean, in terms of just mining for cryptos currencies, which is kind of the main attention-grabbing uh, sort of uh, thing that has been associated with the blockchain, you don't really need any... Uh, well, it's, it's just mainly concentrated on raw horsepower that you need and to, a lot of it to crack into uh, a lot of uh, formulas and to authenticate certain things and you know, whatever but um i think the wider uh, applications should be considered here which is uh, access to a decentralized app service at an app store that you know you, it's something like cydia uh, as opposed to the app store where you you only get verification from other users of that network or you in, in internet traffic like that can act as, uh, as its own sort of e, uh, vpn in sort of a way so that's a sort of uh, the larger picture that they want to take of this but in terms of cryptocurrency you can pretty much do it from any computer it and there's always a concern that um some sites are going to use whatever uh like they're going to attack your computer and use whatever spare uh, computing power that you have to mine for cryptocurrencies without your authorization. So there's a whole bunch of other kind of um, worries that you have to make when it comes to using non um, non specific types of uh, computers. Well, there's there's that. I just want to uh, give a shout out. I'm looking at the comments here. To uh, uh, come on, I lost it. Where are you? Yes, uh, Pedro. Pedro. Andrade, um, thank you. I don't think I'm out of context. I think that there's a huge difference between the region you're living in and the region I am living in. And then there's also a difference between the people you're surrounded with. If I haven't seen people use iPhone SEs, it doesn't mean that the iPhone SE is not a phone which is worth selling or buying. It, it just means that in my life, where I live, where I travel, I haven't seen people use it. If you 
think that that's out of context, by all means, but please give me some, uh, some of your arguments as well, aside from the fact that you've seen two people use an iPhone SE. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think Renata Laporte gave an example back on Twitter that uh, the iPhone SE was a fairly popular phone in the Netherlands for some reason. I'm going to have to look that comment up. Uh, I was trying to look up uh, Pedro's comment so that uh, uh, we could, but he just uh, commented a, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, now the iPhone 5C was, that was a flop. Um, poor choice of hardware and design. Um, so talking about the iPhone 5C and how it was executed as opposed to the iPhone SE. Um, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of arguments that could be made to say that both of them were framed differently. 5C, SC, a lot of them share, a lot, they share a lot of similarities in terms of form factor and like what they did. It's just the branding, the imaging was not really right for them. So, um, definitely agree on that case and uh there's just a whole bunch of other pn weekly comments here daniel miladnov speaking of htc and cracking glass backs can htc make another aluminum unibody flagship before for, uh throwing in the towel uh i second that opinion i still well i don't have the htc uh 10 that i had uh about a year and a half ago but i still have the 1m7 so htc if you're out there uh basically Make an update to this. I'll be fine. Uh, you know, there's 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 one one thing which I, I wanted to touch on. Of course, you need to have a glass-backed smartphone if you want to take advantage of wireless charging. Mm. To me, in my mind, it makes sense. Either you have wireless charging or you have aluminum-backed phones. What doesn't make sense in my mind is for a manufacturer to produce a product which does not support wireless charging and still make it glass back and say that this was a decision in order to improve, uh, I don't know, reception or antenna performance. Come on, guys. I mean, we've seen phones from 2000 and moving forward through plastic, aluminum and all sorts, and none of them had great big issues with reception except the death grip of the iPhones of back then this doesn't make sense in my mind to use this particular argument it does make sense if you're going the wireless charging route but if your phone doesn't support wireless charging just maybe consider doing a phone manufacturing a phone which is an aluminum phone and it won't break but then again if it doesn't break you will never repair it or replace it so there's that nope and uh finally from peter hayton given samsung's past with previous flagships i worry that we could have five cameras for five gimmicks plus the design status it would likely create. I think it is difficult even for Samsung to make each a good implementation to stack up to completion. Galaxy S10, a lot of software that has to be implemented with that. And um, unfortunately, even with Samsung as big as it is for a table, uh, I don't think they have the dedicated teams to to not only create, but maintain those uh individual features if we're all if we're already going to get like all these features um with each little lens or each each little change i don't think that really makes sense so it'll probably just be kind of augmented by the same sorts of ar ai um insert acronym here um so yeah like um uh, i guess i guess that's my that's that's the that's the base the um, default state that we're in Agreed. Yeah. Well, I I really did. Um, I I want lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so hungry right now. So, um, and you probably want dinner too. You want you want to get out of the house. So, uh, thank you so much for participating in uh, the weekly. Thanks. Week. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Anytime you need me, just say the word. Indeed. Uh, we'll have you back on pretty soon. Hopefully, it's a pleasure. And in the meantime. I am going to start leading us out of this uh, podcast so that I can get food. Be sure to keep the conversation going by emailing us at podcast at pocketnow.com. We really want to hear the thoughts you want to get out and the questions you need answered. Also, we are all on Twitter, hashtag PN Weekly. Tony is at A-N-T-O-N-D-N-A-G-Y. I'm on Twitter at Point Jewels. Pocket Now is at Pocket Now on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube in English and Spanish. 
Espanol, where you can find more news on the Pocket Mail daily, every weekday. We also have a lovely site, pocketnow.com, for all your mobile tech needs. We certainly appreciate reviews and ratings on this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to us. Without them, we wouldn't have been making this show for the past six years. For, yeah, believe it or not. For the team, I'm Jules Wong, and uh, peace out, I'm going to have myself a sandwich.